Amen. As the choir is coming down, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your church app, you can open that up and push the Bible and it'll open up to you. Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 1. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. This morning, I want to preach on the theme, living a revived life. What does it mean to live a revived life? When I say that, we think a lot of times about being revived, which is life coming in us. But how do we live in a state that our lives are kind of revved up, you might say, that we're living in a revived state? How does that occur? Can we even live in a revived state like that? Or is it just something that we live in a defeated life and then there's moments of revival? Or can we really live in a state that uh, where our lives are kind of revved up spiritually and we're living in a revived life? I believe that we can. And I think the key is what we find in Isaiah chapter 6 as he has an experience with seeing the Lord and also seeing himself. And that's when we can see the Lord for who he really is and see ourselves for who we really are. That's when we can really get to a point of living a revived life. So in Isaiah chapter 6 and beginning in verse 1, I'm reading this out of the New King James. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now as we read that, and it says that Isaiah... In the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. We don't know for sure if this was something that the Lord just gave him a dream or a vision of or whether he had an actual physical encounter uh, at that point. But it really doesn't make any difference. It was a realistic thing that the Lord was revealing to him truly who should be the king in his life. And in verse 2 it says, Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. These seraphims were those who were around the throne glorifying God and very unique in the fact that they didn't have just two wings. They had six wings. Two were used for flying, but two they covered their eyes and two they covered their feet, reminding Isaiah and you and I today that those seraphims recognized as they wanted Isaiah to recognize, and that is when you're before the Lord, his holiness and his glory is too great for the human eye to see, and his presence is too holy for us to even stand in. And so it was a tremendous setting for Isaiah as he's seeing and experiencing this. And in verse 3 it says, One of the seraphims cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now I want to pause there for just a moment because in the Bible, if you study through the Bible and you start seeing words or names duplicated or tripled, you will very quickly see that there's a deep significance. It's not just somebody hung up in something that sounds good. It has some deep significant meaning. Matter of fact, the Lord sometimes when he was walking on the earth, there were a few times he said somebody's name twice. Like when he said, Mary, Mary. Or Simon, Simon. For me, that's kind of like when I was growing up and I heard Brett Dwayne. It was like, yes, (laughs) am I in trouble? It's an attention getter. When the name was repeated twice, it was something that meant you better give me all of your attention because here is something heavy and significant coming. But here we see holy, 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 not twice, 
But we see holy three times. And in the Bible, when it goes beyond two to that third time, it's reaching up to a supreme state. So it's not, holy, holy, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. You better listen up. This is good. But it's holy, holy, <gasps> I got, you got my attention. Holy, oh, this is highest, the greatest. We're at a supreme state. So the seraphim is saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The only one that's worthy of that triple statement. The whole earth is full of his glory. And verse 4 says, And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, Woe is me. And at verse 5, there is suddenly a transition from all of this holiness and highness and supremacy of the throne of God to suddenly coming to Isaiah and the state where here he is. And he says, Woe is me, which means Grief, overwhelmness, for I am done, which means <sighs> I am in a state that I am not worthy to be in. I am in a state of seeing wrongfulness and damnation in my life because I am a man of unclean lips. Now, what's significant there is that everything that he has seen has been about the holiness and the heights of God and the supremacy of God, and now he's seeing himself and going, what am I doing here? I am not worthy to be in this holy state. I am not worthy to be at this point. And he says in the latter part of that verse, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Now, hot coal from the altar would be something that would be searing. And so you could kind of imagine in your mind that as the seraphim sweeps down after Isaiah has recognized he is a man of unclean lips, which apparently meant that he had foul language from his mouth. And the seraphim sweeps down with this hot coal and there's that sense of burning flesh purifying and wiping out that which was unclean. And then the seraphim says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away or your sin has totally been removed and purged. And verse 8 says, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Notice this didn't come until Isaiah saw how holy God was and he saw how sinful he was and then he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah is at a point that his life is getting revved up pretty quickly and I think in what Isaiah experienced there really gives us a realistic view of how we get to a point in our life that it's not just an emotional moment that's kind of got us hyped up. <clears throat> it's not just something that we really kind of have a sense of something that's going on in our life at this moment in time. But Isaiah is getting a full view of God and himself that is making a dramatic change in his life that is revving him up and reviving him to a point that he can live a revived life. And as I look at these scriptures, I see how that the realisticness of how that you and I can live a revived life. 
First of all, we have to see the Lord for who he really is. Now, if I ask the question today and ask for a raise of hands, and I'm not going to do that, but if I said, all right, who all in here has heard of the Lord or heard of God? Probably every hand in here would go up. You have heard of him. You know the name, the Lord, God. You know that. You're, and some of you, if I were to say, how many of you have received the Lord as your Savior? Hands would go up saying, I know the Lord personally. I've received him as my Savior. But Isaiah takes this to the deepest point when he describes seeing the throne of God and he sees God, the Lord, for who he really is. You see, some people come to salvation or knowing the Lord in the fact that they've experienced a touch in a service. Some people have come to know the Lord because they've heard him talked about in scriptures or they heard a sermon. Some people have come to know the Lord and seen him in some way because he ministered in their life in a moment of need. But here, this has gone way beyond all that because here Isaiah is at a point that the Lord just reveals him in his height and his holiness for who he really is. That Isaiah, while you're living your life out day after day after day, I am still on on my throne in a holy state in a high state and no matter how you live your life and no matter what's going on in your life I am still on my throne nothing's going to change that and for you and I to ever get to a point in our life that we're not going up and down and up and down and having those moments of oh I love the Lord and then you're living in sin the only way that we can get to that point is that we like Isaiah see the Lord for who he really is and as Isaiah saw the Lord, he saw him as the highest authority in his life. You see, by the words that are expressed here, there is deep meaning. It's not just sudden moments that where things begin to fly out of the mouth, but there are things that are being said that represent some deep significance of the Lord. And they hear the seraphim as they are there, and as the voice is calling out, it says, I saw the Lord sitting on throne high and lifted up. The Hebrew word that was used there was the word rom, and it means to be exalted to a high position. And by the expression that we see in here that the Bible is telling us he is high and lifted up means that the Lord is at a point that Isaiah is seeing him as someone who has been appointed and also recognized at that point. Do you understand what I mean? You see, there are some people that can be appointed to a position, but you're, you, don't really, you don't really recognize it because you, maybe you know them and you know the life they live and you don't think so highly of them. So yes, they've been appointed to a high position, but they don't mean that much to you. The wording that was used in the Hebrew language here of high and lifted up means the Lord has been appointed by God himself as heights of, of this authority but also others have recognized that, including the seraphim whom are standing or are flying around the throne there. So Isaiah is saying here, I saw the Lord for the heights of his authority, that he is the almighty authority over all of creation. And then he mentions something else that takes us beyond just the fact about seeing him for his heights in his authority that he has been appointed and recognized and exalted and lifted up to that point but he mentions his train now he's not talking about a toy train or some train you ride in but it's talking about that which is the robe and clothing that he has on that comes down from him usually today when we hear the expression about a train 
we're usually thinking of a wedding. There's going to be a wedding coming up here in a few weeks. And I had some conversation about the wedding ceremony and where people are going to be standing and moving. And I asked the question, how long is your train? Because a long train can become a trip hazard and an issue. So we need to figure out how to deal with that. And so when we look at this, you can kind of visualize that a little bit in your mind of that which is the clothing that is draped out away. And so a king would have a robe or if you're a Superman type person, you know, say the king's cape, his hero state that is draped out from him. And it says that his train or his cape or his robe, that it filled the whole temple. So obviously it's pretty large. And so when we just read that, we could think, Wow, that's pretty big, pretty impressive. But when we understand about a king and his train, his robe, this carries deep, significant meaning. Because a king's robe, his train, represented his, his authority, his position, his power. And so when it says that the Lord's train filled the temple, it's telling us that his train represented how much power and victory he has. Matter of fact, through history, it has been carried on that when a king of one nation defeated the king of another nation, that they would cut off part of the, other na the defeated nation's robe and attach it to that king's robe. And the more nations that he defeated, the longer his robe got. So as we see the Lord with him being high and lifted up with his authority, we see him not only with authority, but with victory in his life. That his robe is so long that it fills the temple, it's because he's had victory after victory after victory. Here Isaiah is seeing the Lord not only in his authority and his state of being supreme authority, but he's also seeing him as the victorious one that has had victory after victory after victory of the enemy. Representing here that as his uh, train is filling or the robe is filling the entire temple, Isaiah is seeing the Lord as the victorious one who has never been defeated. I don't know many of y'all that uh, if you have been familiar with the singer Carmen, but Carmen was a man that had uh, songs that were kind of like stories. And he sang about the champion. And I used to love to listen to that uh, song about the champion of love. And that's kind of what Isaiah is seeing here. He's seeing the Lord as the champion of love. The victorious one that has had victory over every enemy that has come against him. Do you see the Lord as that way in your life? The one who has the highest authority in your life, he is supreme, but also he is the highest source of victory in your life. Meaning there is no one that I can turn to to get victory in my life other than the Lord. But I told you also that these seraphim were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And I said by three expressions, that means that not only is it something to get your attention, but it means it's at the supreme state, which means that here Isaiah is seeing the Lord not only in the heights of his authority and his victory, but also he's seeing him in the holiness of who he is. The Bible tells us that God is without sin, that he cannot be tempted by sin, neither does he tempt us as sin. And so he is the complete holy standard for you and I. You see, in our lives, many times we look for the wrong source of standards to live, our by, by, live ourselves by. But here Isaiah is seeing that the Lord is the holiest standard, which means that whatever comes from his mouth, 
He is worthy to speak. If you and I are going to live a revived life where there's a life that is different day after day after day, then you and I today have kind of got to have an experience like Isaiah and see the Lord for who he really is. And that doesn't mean you're going to go into a trance and suddenly see a throne, but it means right now in your mind, you realize I haven't put the Lord in the authority state that he needs to be in my life. I haven't put him as the holiest thing in my life. You know, I've seen that people that even don't live very godly recognize some things as holy. How many of you have a family Bible that sits out on a table in your house? Would you raise your hand? Few people. That used to be a big thing, and you can see it's probably most of us that's older, except for this little girl over here. She's got one. And that family Bible... You can, I've been in homes where there's a family Bible laying out on a table and you can see sin all over the home of pictures and this, that, and the other. But don't mess with the Bible because the Bible is holy and it is and it should be. But the holiness of God is never fully seen in your life till it affects your life. It's not the object itself but it's the impact it makes on you. And that's true what Isaiah saw. He saw not only an image, but it impacted his life. So for you and I to live a revived life, we've got to see the Lord for who he really is. But then, remember I told you there was a transition in what Isaiah was experiencing. He went from seeing the Lord for who he really is to seeing himself for who he really is. You see, you and I, for us to live a truly revived life, we've got to see ourselves for who we really are. You see, in that verse 5, Isaiah made this statement. He said, so I said, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean limbs. Isaiah at that moment began to see himself for who he really was and that was he realized that God is so high and so holy and I am so messed up to be in his presence. It's kind of like if you came to the church and there was a wedding going on and you walked in, you thought it was work day. And so you come in in your overalls or your torn up jeans and stuff and you come in and everybody's got on coats and ties and gowns. And it's like, <gasps> I came the wrong time, the wrong place. And that's kind of where Isaiah is. He sees himself in a totally different picture. Now I can imagine that before Isaiah had this vision or this experience with the Lord, he thought he was okay. He was living life just normal. But suddenly when he sees the Lord for who he really is, then he sees himself for who he is. He recognized that he had the sins in his life that were destroying his life. You notice in those scriptures that I read, he used the expression, woe is me. I am undone, I have unclean lips. All the expressions that Isaiah was saying there was, I thought I was okay till I showed up in this picture. And suddenly I am dirty and nasty. There are sins in my life that I realize. When he said, woe is me, it's like a sense of grief that has overcome. When he said, I am undone, he's saying, something's about to get messed up in me. Isaiah saw himself for who he really was and he recognized that there were sins in his life that was about to destroy him. 
And you know, I've seen a lot of times that people are living their lives and they're going through life and there's sin in, in, that's in their lives day after day, but it's not a big deal to them. Seems okay. But Isaiah suddenly realized, you know, there's some stuff coming out of my mouth that doesn't need to be coming out of my mouth. He saw himself for who he really was and the sins in his life that he felt like was actually at that moment was going to destroy his life if something didn't change. I don't want you to raise your hand, but have you ever had a moment that maybe there's been some sin in your life? And let me raise my hand. I have been there, done that, worn the t-shirt, burned it. I've been at a point in my life that there's been a sin in my life and suddenly the Lord spoke to me about it and it was just like it overwhelmed me. I gotta get this out of my life. I cannot continue on like this. And it can be something large, can be something small. I've told before about a lady named Evie Hall that told me she had to get rid of the the cartoon part of the newspaper. She couldn't read it anymore. I said, what's wrong with it? I thought maybe they started putting nudity in the cartoons or what's going on? She said, it, it started consuming my time to where I'm not reading my Bible like I used to. And basically, she was saying that, you know, it's not necessarily there's something wrong with cartoons, but it is a sin to me. And she became so overwhelmed. She said, I'm not, watching, I'm not reading that stuff anymore. I'm getting consumed with it. Sometimes it can be something small that just... Maybe for somebody else, it's not a sin, but it's affecting your life. It's affecting your relationship with the Lord. And no matter what it is, it's damaging and destroying until you do something about it. Isaiah realized there is stuff coming out of my mouth that doesn't need to be coming out. I have been at that point in many different phases over my life. Sometimes, there was one time that the Lord convicted me because of just little joking statements that the intention, I didn't say something bad, but the intention that went with it carried something bad. And God overwhelmed me and it had to come out of my life. That's what I'm talking about when we see ourselves for who we really are. And Isaiah recognized that there was sin that was destroying his life. It had to come out. He also realized that the sins of others was not the standard for his life. You see, Isaiah said not only that he was a man of unclean lips, but he said, I live among a people of unclean lips. For many times, people make others the standard for their life. He went on to say, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What Isaiah is saying there is that not only was he seeing that the sins of others was not a standard for his life, and that is, hey, as long as I'm not doing worse than everybody else, I'm okay. But he said, I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts. I've seen him as the standard for my life. So it doesn't matter if somebody else is lying or telling dirty jokes or watching pornography or, or doing this or doing that. It says it doesn't make any difference. I've seen the Lord of hosts and he is now my standard for my life. Because remember, he just heard, holy, holy, holy. Now, I have never been in the presence of anybody. I don't want to hear any amens out of here. But I've never been in the presence of anybody that I walked into the room and people said, holy, holy, holy. And for a good reason, I don't deserve that. I did have a little kid one time that said, Mommy, look, there comes God. Because he saw me play Jesus in the Easter drama. I've, I've held that with high esteem ever since then. 
I love that kid. But Isaiah said, I've seen the Lord and he is my standard. (laughs) Thank you. You see, Isaiah was repenting of his sins because he saw the standard that the Lord was, not others. And I told you, though, in these scriptures that show or tells about the seraphim, and we can just read it, sweeping down with a hot coal in its hand and, and just burning his lips. Now, we don't know if he actually got burned or whether he, I believe that he probably experienced in some way, whether it was actually physically or just the uh, emotional sense of what was going on. I think he felt a sense of sizzling skin. But it was a reminder that when you and I really realize who we are, we've got to repent of our sins and abandon those sins no matter how much it hurts. You want me to repeat that? I didn't hear any amens. I'll just go ahead and do it for good cause anyway. When we see ourselves for who we really are, we have to repent of our sins and abandon those sins no matter how much it hurts. I've sat down with people and been counseling with them and there's begins to kind of be some things I see of sin in their life and I can remember a few times where I've been talking with somebody that they're not married and and I and I just go ahead and ask a question have y'all been sexually involved with each other and then there's a sudden silence deer in the headlight looks and you know what the answer is before they even say it and I've heard this statement as I've talked with them about how that, you know, you can't have God's blessings in your life and in your future if you're living in sin. And I've heard this statement before as I told them about how that you need to abandon that. And they said, it's hard. Did you hear what I said? They said, it's hard. Now, what were they saying when they said it's hard? They were saying, it's hard when you're tempted It's hard when everybody else is doing it. It's hard. Basically, they were saying, I I don't want to abandon this. It's hurting me right now to think about giving that up. I've seen that also in things that people have done where they're getting financial gain and this is not the thing that God would have you to do. People who are doing things that are illegal or things against what we're called to step up as a standard by. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of sins in our life that when it comes to repenting of it and abandoning it, it hurts. Maybe it's something that we've enjoyed. Maybe it's something that has provided something for us that we didn't once have. But what we forget is that it's causing us to lose out on something that is far better. And that is a rich relationship with God and his blessings upon our life. And I can tell you that no matter what financial gain or what physical pleasure you're experiencing, when you abandon sin, and even though it may hurt at the moment, God's blessings are going to far exceed whatever moment of hurt you have at that moment. Go ahead and think about that a little bit. When you repent and abandon it, God's blessings on your life are going to be so far superior. So far superior. It's going to be worth it. Isaiah saw the Lord for who he really is. He saw himself for who he really was. And then he surrendered to what God really wanted. And that's the same way for you and I. If we're going to live a revived life, we've got to get to a point that we surrender to what God really wants in us. 
You see, the next thing the Lord made this statement after Isaiah experienced that about the cleansing. And then and only then did I, the Lord speak and Isaiah heard. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, here am I, send me. You see, at that point, Isaiah was surrendered to what God really wanted. And for you and I to really know that we're surrendered to what God wants, we've got to be surrendered to what his will is, not our will. We've got to be sensitive to what his needs are for our lives. And this is when it really gets good, when we get to a point that we feel a sense of joy by serving him. You see, when the Lord said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I'd like to have about 100 people that I could say, all right, who would do this? Hey, hey, let me do it. A great sense of joy in serving the Lord. You see, there's, there's no way you can live a revived Christian life till there is a great sense of joy. You see, in my Bible, and I hope it does yours, when he said, here am I, exclamation point which means there's a moment of emotion and movement and excitement. Isaiah was saying, oh, now I'm ready. Just a few moments ago, I was sick in my sin, but I am ready to serve God now. Why? Because I saw the Lord for who he really is. I saw myself for who I really am. And now I am surrendered to what he really wants. I read a statement one time that I want to leave you with this morning. And that is, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And that's where Isaiah was. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you this morning. And Lord, I thank you, God, for your precious word and the power in your word. And Lord, I thank you for, Lord, how this message did a little bit of reviving in me. Lord, we can't live lives where we never have moments of disappointment and discouragement. But Lord, we can live a revived life where our life has been changed. Because we have seen you for who you really are. We've seen ourselves for who we really are. And then we've surrendered to what you really want. And Lord, I believe that you intended this message today to grab hold of some hearts. To say, do you really see me for who I really am? My authority, the victory there is in me, the holiness of my life. Do you see me for who I really am? And do you see yourself for who you really are? Is there things in your life that you need to deal with before you can ever get to a point to surrender to the Lord for what he really wants and really have a sense of joy? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And he's all, our, all we need. He's all I need. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would search every one of our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that you would revive us, rev us up spiritually. Lord, get us ready to be sensitive to your spirit and what you have needs for us to step up and surrender. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd use us for your glory in a way that would make an impact in the world that we live in. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I hope you've seen a little bit about the Lord through Isaiah's expression in these scriptures. And maybe you've felt the Lord speaking to you 
Maybe you've never accepted the Lord as your Savior or maybe you're unsure of your salvation. Would you pray this prayer silently in your heart and turn your life over to Him? Dear Lord, yeah, just go ahead and pray that in your heart. Dear Lord, I feel your Spirit speaking to me. And Lord, I know I've made some mistakes, but I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm being honest, Lord. I sense my sin. And I'm asking you to clean me up. And Lord, I accept your gift of salvation. Thank you for saving me. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you pray that prayer to receive Christ and you really mean it, would you just slip up your hand to just say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer and I invited Jesus in my heart. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're a Christian, but you know, you can live a Christian life and really not see God for really who He is. Maybe even not see yourself for who you really are. If the Lord has spoken to you in some areas of your life and you want to experience that revived life, you want me to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, 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 yes. To God be the glory. Yes, amen. God, I just praise your name, Lord, for those that you've touched this morning that said, I want to live that revived life. I want to see the Lord for who he really is and Lord, when we see the heights that you're exalted to and the holiness of who you are, it's going to change our life just like it did Isaiah. Lord, change our lives today so that we'll be different and surrendered wholly to you and God, what you want to do in our lives. And Lord, for those who raise their hands, Lord, just touch them and encourage them and strengthen them. Lord, motivate them and move them forward in their relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that they would see you differently today and every day hereafter because of what you've done in their lives this morning. And God, we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. Amen.